was a young Catholic priest. He would make pastoral visits to an institution called Apple Creek in Northeastern Ohio. It was a home for people with physical and cognitive disabilities. And the visitors that he would go with would bring with them a box full of items with which to create a sacred space for the people who lived there. Candles, a Bible, Eucharistic elements, and a portrait of Jesus by Francis Hook. It was that portrait of Jesus that got Bob thinking. It was the one where Jesus' hair is kind of blown back, and he looks rugged and healthy, has kind of a gleam in his eye, like he could be selling athletic wear or singing labor songs. I used to call him the jogger Jesus, and I had a little picture of him that I kept in my wallet when I was a teenager. Bob wondered if this portrait of Jesus looked like anyone the residents of Apple Creek would recognize. He wondered if it would remind them of themselves, people who had Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, who used wheelchairs and walkers, who had the kind of impairments that you could see from a distance. And he wondered what a portrait of Jesus would look like if it were modeled after people who lived at Apple Creek. So he decided to commission one. He worked with his friend, Dan Whiteley, who's a wonderful artist in Northeastern Ohio, and participants in the diocese's ministry to people with disabilities modeled. Dan created a series of paintings called Jesus and the Disciples. They were big, Bold, colorful paintings, four or five foot square, done in oils. When I worked with Bob in the performing arts ministry that we were part of in the 90s, he would we would take one of these paintings with us to programs, a large-scale oil portrait of the Christ whose model had been Donna, a woman with Down syndrome. And Bob would tell the story about Apple Creek and about commissioning the paintings. And then he would pull this piece of art from its cardboard box. And he would announce, this is the latest portrait of Jesus Christ. What do you think? <laughs> it's been more than 20 years. And I still remember the responses from scores of these conversations. Some would say, I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. That's a woman, and Jesus was a man. Woman can't be a model for Jesus. Jesus was perfect, and this Jesus is not. It's not historical. Jesus did not have retardation. Others would say, it's perfect. It makes me want to cry. I see myself in that painting. I recall a young man with cognitive impairments who said, that looks like me. 
When this portrait of Jesus entered the room, people were startled. Some were doubtful. Some were joyous. Some believed, and others did not. Those responses are not unlike that of the followers of Jesus when Jesus himself appeared among them and said, Peace be with you. They did not immediately recognize him for understandable reasons. I mean, you have to remember that this was the first time that most of them had seen the effects the crucifixion had on his body. He died just before sundown that started the Sabbath, and he was entombed hastily. Most of his followers had fled the scene entirely, and here he was pointing to his marred hands and feet. If those wounds remained, I imagine the evidence of the whip and the crown of thorns did as well. The thing that stuns me most about this story is not that Jesus came back from the dead or appeared to his followers or even asked for a piece of fish to eat in front of them. It's that he came back with a body marked with the wounds of his humanity. Some that were visible and I'm sure some that were not. And he asked to be recognized by those. And he offered his friends the intimate and a horrifying invitation to touch them in order to know that they were real. We have spent millennia erasing the humanity from the risen Christ in our art and our imaginations. It's impossible not to see that fair-skinned, long-haired, Anglo-Saxon man whose hands and feet are tastefully marked to indicate his time on the cross. That's how we know Jesus. What comes to mind first for you? His bearded face or his wounds? And I'm afraid that this distorted memory of Jesus' resurrected body has distorted our own body image as well. Because it must take a perfect Jesus to remove our imperfections, our disabilities, our weaknesses, which is why he came, wasn't it? To make us perfect. Only the most beautiful and hale and fair can model for that kind of portrait. Think about this. And you begin to see the power that a distorted image of the body of Christ might have on how the living body of Christ sees itself and behaves. Now, when we would reveal that oil painting of the Christ modeled after a woman with Down syndrome, I could sense another feeling in the room. There was also a measure of fear there. I think as people felt the weight of the consequences of changing the traditional image of the Christ from a healthy white male to someone else, what would become of the church if we opened the doors of our imaginations that wide to allow for a black or an Asian or an indigenous Christ, a trans Christ, a wheelchair-using Christ, female Christ, a cognitively impaired Christ. Why, Christ could then be recognized in just about anybody. 
Jesus returns from the dead with the body he died in, in order to remind us that he did not abandon his humanity when he rose from the dead. God stayed with us in order to draw us into the divine body. The signs of our sinful attack upon Jesus' body didn't go away, and they don't go away, but their power did. And it does. That's what Christ's healing does. That's what his resurrection does. It removes the scathing power of rejection. And it loves the skin we're in. Scarred, blemished, aged, pigmented, toned, or flabby. And that's not even mentioning all the marks and impairments that can be easily hidden from others' view. In disability studies, people without impairments are called the temporarily able-bodied. Hold that up against the promise of being eternally beloved. Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself, Jesus says in Luke's gospel. In her book, The Disabled God, Toward a Liberation Theology of Disability, Nancy Eisland reflects on this very passage. She writes, Here is the resurrected Christ making good on the incarnational proclamation that God would be with us embodied as we are, incorporating the fullness of human contingency and ordinary life into God. She goes on to write, the disabled God is not only the one from heaven, but the revelation of true personhood, underscoring the reality that full personhood is fully compatible with the experience of disability. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, says the author of 1 John, because that is what Jesus is. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And perhaps to see Jesus as he is, we have to see ourselves as we really are. And if we're really honest with ourselves, there is not one of us that does not know impairment, that does not have an inventory of our own hidden wounds has not been disabled in some way by the life we're in. And the good news of Jesus is that none of that makes us less than beloved in his eyes. But we're not only caught up in and claimed as beloved as in the risen body of God, we are also commissioned. 
When Jesus appears among his followers all hunkered down in that upper room, it is not only to bring peace, though that is the start. It is to call them to the life that they are to live in this new world that Jesus has brought with him. They are to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations in his name, beginning from Jerusalem. And because they have seen the risen Christ and thus are witnesses of these things, they are called. And that good news that they are to proclaim and we are to proclaim is that no one is to be denied entry into the life of God because of their humanity, their current wounds, or their past sins. As long as they are willing to enter that life not by their ability to dominate or force or explain or even understand, but rather by their ability to see in Christ's wounds their own profound limits and the world-changing possibilities that come from being children of God. In short, by their and by our willingness to sit among all our vulnerabilities and impairments and to model for the next portrait of Jesus Christ. Amen.